Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price, a medical oncologist and president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series of podcasts, I'm interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country, indeed in the world, to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Welcome to the Lung Cancer Voices podcast. I'm speaking with Aaliyah Martinson, who is a lung cancer patient um, in Kelowna, BC. And we are going to hear about her story of being diagnosed with lung cancer during a pandemic and how she has been able to be uh, right now a successful lung cancer survivor. And um, so, Alia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate that. Maybe first off, for people listening to the pod, could you kind of introduce yourselves to us all? Who, who, who are you? Who, who is Alia Martinson? Absolutely. Um, so I guess I'll start off. Yeah, my name is Aaliyah. And I love to say I'm not just a lung cancer survivor, but I'm a lung cancer thriver, because I don't want to just to survive. I want to like thrive. So that's what I say. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a mom of three children that lives here in Kelowna. And uh, although I say I'm like a, you know, original Kelowna girl, uh, those that are actually born in Kelowna may disagree with me. They're quite particular that if you weren't born here, you can't say you're from Kelowna, but I have lived plus 30 years in Kelowna. So take that as you will. I have three kids, like I mentioned, two boys and a girl, um, ages eight, 13, and almost 16. So I'm entering the the era of teaching a a daughter to drive so that's gonna be a fun summer for me (laughs) something I have to look forward to (laughs) (laughs) and you're you you've been you or you at least up until your diagnosis you were training in social work yes I was yeah I was have been working in the social work field for um, several years and wanted to upgrade my education. So 2020 fall, I went back to school full-time, back to university full-time with the end goal of wanting to get my master's in social work. I've taken a year break from that as it just so happened, I was diagnosed with lung cancer uh, three days after writing my last final exam for the 20, sorry, not I went back to school 2019. So 2020 school year, right three days after writing my last exam, I was diagnosed. So I've currently staying home with my three children, being a full-time mom and full-time teacher. (laughs) Right. And are they staying home right now too for virtual school or are they school in person? Yeah. So we've kind of done both. We, they did start the school year last uh, last fall at school, all attending public school. It was a, a bit of a challenge. I mean, it's a challenge for everyone, but a bit of a challenge for me with when they said, you know, we're going to be doing cohorts to keep everyone protected. Well, when I have a child in each school, like an elementary school, a middle school, and a high school, which I do, you know, our cohorts are actually not that small. If you put that many kids and that many siblings of those kids together, I mean, 
So I think we only lasted about a month and a half in school before my kids were like, you know, they came to me and they're like, mom, like if we brought COVID back home, like we would be, you know, devastated. And uh, so we had quite open discussions and, you know, I said like that I will, I will do what you want. If you want to really pursue going to school, then I will support that. And we'll just make accommodations. If you don't, then I will choose to, you know, do <laughs> try to put on another hat and be a teacher to, uh, to my children, which they all chose to stay home. So yeah, I've been doing um, full-time school for my three kids. And then the end of April, my two oldest ones decided that they would like to go back to school. Kind of the whole, you know, I, I, I had my first vaccine at that point wasn't as comfortable with just having the one vaccine, but anyways, we're, we're making it work with them coming home, going right upstairs, having showers, then coming down and saying hi to me. So it's, they don't love it, but it's a compromise. It's, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the beginning of the, the lung cancer story. Cause uh, sure. this is a lung cancer voices podcast. So I suppose we yeah. should talk about that. Um, Start about that. Yeah. Um, what's the story? I mean, how, how, how did the, how come you were diagnosed with lung cancer? What, what happened? Sure. So yeah, I was diagnosed April 30th of 2020. So that was just kind of when things were getting closed down because of COVID. I know schools were closed at that point. That was at least for BC at the tail end of spring break. So they were saying that kids were not going to be going back to school and, you know, everyone was pretty much staying home as the the fear was quite high. So I had had this pressure in my chest and in my back for approximately two months. It kind of felt like someone was squeezing me from both sides. And I, you know, as I said, I was a full, you know, full-time university student. I just figured it was stress, right? You know, final, final exams and being a mom and I'm also a single parent. So I also was going through a really difficult divorce at the time. So with just everything in my life, I just figured it's probably just stress. And then, you know, anything to do with lungs, with COVID going on, I'm like, e, I don't even want to say anything because I don't want someone to say, oh, you got COVID and now you got to stay home. And, you know, I didn't want to go into my doctor. So I, I kind of left it for a long time and it was manageable during the day. But at nighttime, I would lay there and I'd be in a lot of pain at night and I could only sleep on one side. So eventually I called my doctor and she said, well, curious, let's, you know, I'm, I'm obviously summarizing curious, but let's uh, see how it goes. Call me back in two weeks and, and see if it, any, if, if the you know, pressure is reduced or, or if it's advanced at all. So probably a month later, because I just am a procrastinator and kept forgetting every time during the day, I finally called her and said, you know, it's not getting better. And you said, call back in two weeks. And it's actually been a month. What do you, you know, what, what do you think we should do? And she said, well, come on in and let me have a listen to your, to your lungs. She actually didn't really hear too much, but said, you know what, I'm going to dot my T's and cross my eyes opposite of what I just said um <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna send you for a chest x-ray and just to just to be you know totally clear and I said okay sounds great her office is right next to the our hospital which is the easiest way for me to get a x-ray so I just walked from the you know doctor office 
over to the hospital and got my x-ray right away. And I walk out of the x-ray and he said, you know, get changed and then just wait here. And I said, okay. And the radiologist came out and he says, excuse me, I would like you to walk down to the ER right now. And I said, why? And he's like, well, I will call the ER uh, doctor and let him know what's going on. And he said, you know what, Never mind. I don't want you to walk down there. I'm going to get a wheelchair and we're going to wheel you down there. I was like, okay. Cause I just like walked in here, like fine. And he said, well, just be on the, on the safe side. So anyways, they wheel me down to the ER. I'm waiting there. And the, finally the ER doctor comes in and says, you know, your right lung is like three quarters full of fluid. You shouldn't be fine. You shouldn't be sitting here presenting like, you know, you're chipper and able to, to walk and talk and like, you, you, you should look sick. I'm like, you know, I have pressure when I lay down, especially, but I don't overly feel sick. And I didn't actually have a cough at this point. So anyways, they thought it must be pneumonia because I'm way too young for lung cancer or any other thing. So they said it must be pneumonia. So they uh, admitted me for pneumonia to drain all that fluid because obviously you can't just send me home with a one working lung. Well, they were quite surprised to see that the, the, the lung wasn't draining. And uh, the respirologist was quite uh, mystified why he said it was going to take like maybe a day to drain the lung. Well, a day later, it wasn't draining. Uh, two, three, four days later, still not draining. So anyways, he finally said, well, we'll do more tests and uh, we'll call you. So they sent me home. And anyways, long story short, I got a call back about a week later and he said, yeah, you know what? We sent away the fluid from the lungs that we had drained and it was positive for malignant cells and you do have advanced uh, stage. I don't think they staged it because I didn't have, I didn't have my uh, CT scan yet, but he does say you have advanced lung cancer. And yeah, that was absolutely traumatizing. Right. I, think, I think the spontaneity of... I mean, you see in movies or whatever, when, you know, you get called down to the office and they have a support person there with you, if it's, you know, your family member or whatever, and they kind of show you the x-rays or whatever. Um, and, you know, that wasn't my experience at all. It was, I got a random phone call from the respirologist. I'm here by myself with my kids at home. He kind of, you have, you know, stage, actually, no, he did say stage four. Uh, yeah, he did say it because he, because I said, what's, I don't even know what the stages mean. So he said, well, stage four is the worst one. And he said, it's non-operable. It's, uh, yeah, stage four adenocarcinoma, non-operable and, and very advanced. And I said, well, like, what's that mean? He said, well, that means like maybe, maybe two to three years max. Do you have any questions? And I said, uh, no. <laughs> I'm like, how do I even take this all in? <laughs> so anyways. You got the diagnosis from a phone call. From a phone call. And, you know, I, I, I don't know the normal processes in, in Kelowna. I, I think normally that would try to be done in person and, and during the pandemic. And maybe it's one of the impacts of the pandemic is a lot of stuff's happening by phone. I feel, I feel that's, that you're absolutely right. I mean, the only time I saw the respirologist was in the hospital, all the other consults or, you know, for a while there we were talking uh, almost every other day on updates because my, the cancer was advancing really fast there. And so day by day, I was actually feeling worse. 
so yeah, every, I never actually went into his office. It was always just done by by telephone. So I probably that I do think that's due to the pandemic that it was a phone call that I got diagnosed with. Yeah. So you go through a month where you're sitting finals, you're going through a difficult divorce, the world is locking down with the pandemic, your kids are in three different schools in three different cohorts, uh, and then you got a phone call that you've got stage four lung cancer. Absolutely. Non-operable is like very, you know, it was very bleak, the conversation. (laughs) I imagine people listening would think, would be thinking what I'm thinking was like, I mean, this is, sounds like just rock bottom awful. Did, did it get worse or, or did, did then things start to turn around? Because you, you described yourself initially as a lung cancer thriver. Well, you know, yes. I think, did it get worse? It, it's been, I've described it as a storm. It's like these huge waves and I go high and I go low. And so some days are worse and some days are better. And I think I have plastered joy signs all around my house. I've asked people to bring joy into me. So I've gotten like wooden signs dropped off, handmade drawings of joy dropped off. My kids have made me crafts with the word joy. And interestingly enough, my middle name is joy. And I hated my middle name my whole life. And then, you know, this year I've just thought, you know, this is why, sorry, this is why my mom named me joy. Cause she knew at some point that I would, I would need to find that. Sorry. Okay. I would need to find that inner joy. And I think that's what has really given me the strength to be calling myself a thriver, not just a survivor. And do you have a lot of people around you um, as, apart from your kids? Do you have um, like a lot of friends and family who have been able to support you? 100%. And man, is that a protective factor? I've definitely seen what an amazing what an amazing family I have yeah yeah absolutely as soon as I hung up from the respirologist I called my mom and my dad and they came right over yeah and you 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 told me before we started recording that you're now after you'd had the initial uh, tube for the fluid you started on a treatment and that's been going well? Yes, it took a long while for the, well, I feel like it was a long while for the treatment to start. It was over a month from getting that phone call diagnosing me with the stage four lung cancer to actually getting into our cancer center and starting any sort of treatment. They were, I'm, I'm thankful that they, uh, they sent away for the molecular testing, but they, when he sent it away was when he still thought it was pneumonia. So he didn't really rush it or give much, you know, and it was, it was just like a precautionary send away. So perhaps that plus COVID and everything just slowing down made that time between diagnosis and treatment a little bit longer because yeah, that month was, an absolute killer of a month. Cause in that month I could feel the cancer progressing. I mean, it went into my lymphatic system and I was getting these huge, like my lymph nodes were so swollen behind, you know, in my neck, uh, my armpits and uh, behind my knees, like anywhere, you know, that you can easily feel your lymph nodes. They were just 
protruding. They were so huge. And then with the infrahilar lymph nodes, I guess that's why it was stage four. The infrahilar lymph nodes were also just a mess. And, you know, yeah, by the time I got into the cancer center, where I was very thankful to be given the uh, targeted drug therapy, the osimertinib um, mm-hmm. or tigriso, um, yeah, I couldn't, they, they pushed me in there in a wheelchair and I couldn't even talk for, you know, 30 seconds without, you know, breaking out into these huge coughing sessions. And yeah, the Plurex catheter that they put in, they actually put in the same day that I started the targeted drug therapy. My oncologist, my lovely oncologist, Dr. Wadwa, was really hopeful that I wouldn't need the Plurex catheter because the the Tigriso has really worked so uh, fast for so many people. But uh, when she saw, you know, how much I was struggling to breathe and and all the coughing, she said, no, you, you, yeah, you do need to get that Plurex catheter uh, put in. And yeah, that was in, uh, I got to lovely summer, uh, right from, uh, I think the end of May to the end of August, which if anyone knows Kelowna, it's hot here. And when you have a Plurex catheter on your side, it was so itchy and, Anyways, I got a lovely summer of having uh, uh, every other day drainings of uh, my lung. Yeah, it was lovely. <laughs> that came out presumably because the the osimertinib pill got the cancer under control. Absolutely, man. That I say that stuff is that's a miracle pill because it worked like a a hot darn. Absolutely, yeah. Within a month, I was feeling pretty pretty good. I mean, of course, anyone that's been on the Tigriso would know what I mean when I say there's some pretty crazy side effects uh, that come with it. But I mean, I think that's any cancer treatment, you're going to get some pretty interesting side of pretty interesting side effects. So the so that means you must to be on the Tigriso, the osimertinib pill, you must have this subtype of lung cancer, EGFR lung cancer, which typically is in people who've not been exposed to tobacco. Is that the case with you as well? That is the case for me. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's maybe uh, another reason why they didn't even think like lung cancer wasn't on the horizon. Cause they did ask me like, have you ever smoked? And I said, no, you know, I've never smoked. I'm really healthy. You know, I work out on a regular basis. I eat clean. Like I'm, I always have been a primarily uh, plant-based diet I'm much more so now I'm I am plant-based now but yeah crazy that yeah exactly well, EGFR it, positive it underlines doesn't it the, the biggest risk factor for getting lung cancer is having lungs absolutely 100% and that's that's what I tell anyone I can talk to about it I'm a huge I guess being a social work uh, in the social work field, advocacy is something that's always been dear to my heart. So now this is another thing that I can advocate on. And you know, if anyone will listen to me, I'm always like, yeah, absolutely. Like anyone can get lung cancer. And you know, it really bothered me that when I got diagnosed, everyone's first, not everyone, that's an exaggeration, but most people's first question was, oh, you have lung cancer? Did you smoke? And I was like, who cares? Like if I smoked or did I not smoke, do people that smoke not deserve your condolences or your sympathy? Like, you know, if, if I had smoked, 
would that have made me feel better? Or would that have made me feel like, you know, yeah, guilty. Thank you. So, you know, I'd, I'm a huge, like, who cares if you, I mean, yes, smoking's not the best, but lungs legal we don't judge people I, I, good good for you Aaliyah. um you know there's a there's a campaign that um lung cancer canada has been part of called the wrong question yes uh, like the wrong question.ca and it's it, and it's exactly what you just just said that you know when when you people get diagnosed with lung cancer whether they've been exposed to tobacco or not uh this this the first question should really be like how are you feeling oh my gosh i feel so, so sorry for you how can i help what can i Yes. Not, not. Oh, yes. I didn't know you smoked. Or did you smoke? Um, yes. It really is. Um, it, it's a judgmental question, isn't it? It really is, and it's not a helpful one because it doesn't matter at that point. You have lung cancer already. You know, if yeah. you're uh, someone who's just started smoking cigarettes, you may want to have that conversation about potential risk factors. But if the person already has lung cancer, why are you asking them then if they're smoking? Like. That's not going to help. <laughs> so you mentioned that in in the just before we talked about the the um, the, the the sort of stigma. Um, you you mentioned that you you've got into some sort of advocacy and and you've been quite vocal in advocacy ar around the, the COVID vaccination. Is is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I mean, it's the COVID vaccine has been a really, really tough one. And it's the, the rollout has been a tough one to watch. And anyone that's living here, you know, living in our world right now, the pandemic has been rough. And the idea of the vaccine coming out was like this little bone that they're, you know, waving in front of us. And for someone that has lung cancer and I know that you know my lungs are you know severely compromised and maybe having my diagnosis prolonged a little bit they they got a little bit well they're quite scarred up from all the fluid that accumulated and so you know I wouldn't want to get or chance my lungs with with COVID right now and so having this vaccine potential there has just been something that my kids and I have been like yes like we need some sort of peace and we know it's not, you know, a hundred percent, but it's going to help. And, you know, my kids have really put aside their life, their friends, you know, they didn't go to school. They have not seen any friends. And for teenagers, that's, you know, that's rough and they've done it all for me. And, you know, I just am like desperate to get vaccinated so that they can have that uh, piece that when they do go to school or if they want to go and see a friend, which they should be able to go and do, you know, outside for a bike ride or whatever, they should have the confidence to do that, that they can do it safely. And so, yeah, uh, unfortunately in BC, uh, we did not get prioritized to get our second vaccine um, within the recommended dosage of the yeah manufacturers. Did you, did you get now before we get to the second vaccine time, yes. did you get prioritized for the first vaccine because of your cancer diagnosis or was it done by age, which case you right. lower down the list? Way lower down the list. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I guess I didn't say that, but I am only um, 37 years old. 
So no, I was cancer patients in BC were prioritized uh, with certain lung, you know, uh, solid cell cancers. So or blood cancers. So lung cancer fell in that, and I am on active treatment. So I did qualify. So I got a letter in the mail, uh, and I got my first COVID vaccine April fourteenth. April fourteenth. Yeah. Have you had the second one? No. No. Okay. Still not. No. It's been yes. It's been something that I've been very vocal about. I've done a couple interviews with different news media outlets. And, you know, I really appreciate them sharing my story, but not just my story. It's, you know, lung, you know, cancer survivors, people that have immunocompromised health, you know, our plea of, we need this protection, like we 100%, you know, and I'm, I'm behind the idea of, you know, getting as many people vaccinated as possible. But unfortunately, we just need two to get us to that same playing field as everyone else. So it's something that I've been really trying to advocate for. And, you know, I feel blessed that I am quite, I consider myself quite healthy right now. I mean, yes, I have cancer, but overall I'm able to, to do this right now. I, I, you know, I'm not stuck in bed or whatever. So, you know, if I can be the person who's championing for those that don't have the strength right now, then I'll absolutely take that on. Yeah. Anytime anyone says, can you tell us? And I said, if it's going to help, I'll do anything. Cause, cause that's just who I am. <laughs> I just like to help people. <laughs> yeah. So, you, you know, you, you probably know this, but maybe for other people listening that, um, there's some uh, research about the vaccine that, that that seemed to show that cancer patients weren't weren't getting the level of immunity uh, from one dose, and they really needed the second dose. And so there's concern that if you wait four months for the second dose, you know, could it just be a bit of a waste of time? And and so, is there any any movement on that for you? Um, do, do you do you have? Well, some, you're going to. I've get- been. Yeah, I've been told that uh, actually, uh, I was told that I might be getting a phone call or a an invitation to book my vaccine today. My MLA here so happens to be BC's uh, opposition health critic. Okay. And so I've uh, been really leaning on her and she's been really leaning on our um, health minister. And uh, she actually texted me on Tuesday to say, hey, I, I was in getting my first vaccine and I pleaded your case there. And they said that on Thursday, you would be getting an invite. So I'm like, well, it's, uh, you know, 3.13 PM my time. I got a couple more hours and then tomorrow I'll be on the phone going, it's past Thursday, where's my invite? <laughs> well, I hope you get that, Elia, and uh, get your get your second shot soon. And, and, and I was kind of interested about what you're saying because it's not, course the 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 vaccination is not purely about protecting us as individuals is it and for you you know it's it maybe gives you and your family a bit of confidence that your your kids are having to watch their mom go through a lung cancer diagnosis in a lockdown they don't have their own support networks of their friends and so you know the vaccination has the benefits sort of ripple out don't they Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, my biggest motivation, like you said, is, is that protection and security for my kids, for my family, you know, I have, although my family has been, you know, super 
um, important to me through this journey, I actually haven't seen them almost at all. So they, you know, my bubble has been pretty much my my kids and uh, my boyfriend pretty much has been my my bubble, um, my mom and dad a little bit. But yeah, just wanting to be able to, you know, see my sisters. And yeah, that's been, that's been, it's definitely the thing that keeps me going that, you know, keeps me yeah. pushing to say, no, we, we must do better. You know, like we're, we're kind of lame in BC, I got to say for how the second rollout is happening. And it's discouraging when I hear other people getting their second vaccine that are totally healthy. And they're like, oh, what, you don't have yours? I'm like, no. And they're like, oh, well, we got our second one like a while ago. I'm like, congrats. Like, I, I'm not going to be upset about it, but it just is a little bit disheartening how it's been really uh, all over the place with how it's been rolled out here, in my yeah, opinion. Different provinces and different countries have obviously have performed, uh, performed. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, Alberta, I mean, you know, probably better than me, Alberta, Ontario, Manitoba, Quebec, like Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan, I don't even remember, have all prioritized cancer patients to get that second vaccine within the manufacturer's uh, guidelines. BC has held pretty strong that they're going to elongate it and get as many people vaccinated as possible. So although I was promised today, who knows, when I went and got my first vaccine, they did say, I, I asked, I said, you know, I, I have lung cancer. Is there any way I could get this, my second vaccine earlier? And they said, no, you will be getting it in four months. And I said, okay, well, we'll see about that. Cause I'm going to be pushing for something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's light at the end of the tunnel for, for, you know, it's, it's certainly COVID in Canada is not, not, not completely under control no. any stretch but I, th I think we can see hopefully a light at the end of the tunnel where you can see your family in person again and um the kids can see their friends and um that's right yeah Leah, i'm so yeah. grateful for you to taking the time to tell your story really is gosh i'm i'm i'm, I'm going to struggle to find the right words to describe the emotions that i'm feeling listening to you and i imagine other people are kind of humbling uh, so, so a bit of horror really about what you had to go through um, a year ago uh, with just the whole sounds like that your whole kind of world crashing around you at, from lots of different angles but so it's so lovely to hear that you're feeling well and that the treatment's going well it is yeah thank you I appreciate that no yeah I, I absolutely agree that yeah you know almost just before I got diagnosed with everything that was going on in my world, I was saying, actually, I was talking to my counselor and I said, you know, everything seems to be falling apart around me, but at least I still have my health. And then it was like a week later that I got my diagnosis. So then I just looked up to the heavens and pretty much was like, hey God, you know, I got nothing left, so help. And I'm really thankful to say that, yeah, my, my higher power has definitely graced me with, uh, strength to survive and thrive through this journey and I will continue to uh, advocate and you know hopefully change the whole stigma around lung cancer and it doesn't have to be you know someone who smoked it doesn't have to be someone who's older you know all these things that we put them in boxes let's tear those boxes apart you know I want you know, primary care physicians to have it on their horizon that, you know, this person, if they're having 
problems breathing or something, let's look at that possibility of, you know, how are their lungs looking and could lung cancer be a, a, an option? Because it didn't have to take, you know, two to three months of me and doctors exploring what it could be before, you know, I actually got my diagnosis. Because, um, yeah, that wasn't the funnest uh, time for sure. <laughs> Well, thank you. It's really, really been an inspiration. Um, and I guess for people listening, if there's anything here that resonates with you, uh, questions about your own lung cancer diagnosis or someone that, you, uh, that you're that you caring for or that you know with who, who has the diagnosis, um, you know, do check in with your healthcare provider or the lungcancercanada.ca website for, um, if, if, or, or call us if you, if you want some help or guidance. Thank you again, Elias. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like and follow us on Facebook at LungCan, on Twitter at LungCancer underscore Can, and on Instagram at LungCancerCanada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at LungCancerCanada.ca.